0: Have you ever been caught red-handed before? Anybody? Yeah? You've been caught red-handed? I mean, when I I say caught red-handed, I mean caught in the act of doing something out of bounds. Anyone? Yeah? Yeah? Another way to say it is, have you ever been caught with your hand in the cookie jar? Anybody? Somebody walks in, oh, gotcha. Caught in the act. I've been caught before. I bet if we passed a mic around today to everybody. We could hear some fantastic stories. Don't you agree? Let me tell you one quick one uh, uh, that happened to me when I was in high school. I was a sophomore in high school and I hated chemistry and uh, my teacher was boring. It wasn't her fault. I think it was the content. Um, And just didn't like it, didn't pay attention. And I would cut her class every now and then. You know, it was back in the day when you could cut class and get away with it. Um, And so I had some buddies that, had their license and I wasn't driving at the time. And so they're like, Hey, let's get some breakfast or whatever. So we skipped chemistry. I skipped chemistry that day and went out to eat, came back to school. Everything's fine. No, no problem at all. Well, at the end of the day, I wasn't driving at that time. My mom picked me up from school and uh, so, a normal, as she normally did, and uh, got in the car, and right as we were getting ready to pull away from the high school, um, this car pulls up right next to my mom's car, my car, and the window comes down. It's my chemistry teacher. And she says to my mom, I think my mom is, like, getting ready to, like, receive a compliment about her son. <laughs> That's not what happened. She went on to say, my my chemistry teacher put her window down and in the middle of traffic, in the middle of the road, she looks at my mom. She looks at me, really, and says, where were you today in chemistry? Window went up and she drove on by. (laughs) And then it was just me and the five foot three Puerto Rican mom. Now, when I say Puerto Rican, I mean she had a temper at times. And so uh, I was in big trouble that day. Caught red-handed. Cookie hand in the cookie jar. You had experiences like that. I can tell you more about my life, but... You don't want to hear it, (laughs) some of those other experiences. But we've all been there before, haven't we? And I want to share a story with you today about someone who got caught in the act, someone who was caught red-handed, someone who was caught with their hand in the cookie jar. But before we get there, I just want to welcome everyone here at the Greenwood campus, everyone watching at our Banta campus and our Franklin campus as well, our online campus. Can we just welcome all of our campuses? So exciting to be here with you on this Easter weekend. It's also baptism weekend which is very exciting. Now, some of you have come to see friends or family members get baptized. And so we'll get to that in just a little bit. Uh, but just to kind of remind you, if you haven't been here in a while, we're actually in a series right now called Savage Jesus. And this series is really about our image of Jesus or a vision of Jesus. Many of us have grown up with sort of a sanitized version or perception of Jesus that he was this kind and compassionate, gentle type of person that the little children would, would come to and sit on his lap. And, you know, Jesus would hold lambs in his arms and he was just this compassionate person. And all of that is absolutely true. Jesus even said, do not forbid the little children from coming to me. And, and, and he was kind and he was compassionate and all those things. However, however, often, we often don't talk about the other side of Jesus that can really only be described with this word savage. Not savage in the, in, the, in the old way that we used to think about it, like someone who is brutally violent. Not, not that way, but in the way that maybe your teenagers would use it today. Or your grandkids, you know, when they see something cool, they go, oh, that's totally savage, you know, or, and what they mean is that is bold or risky or brave, or someone did something and they don't care about what anybody else thinks. That's what the word actually means in, in modern urban slang. If you, if I could use that, uh, that way to describe it. And Jesus was, was like that. Like he would do things sometimes that was like, what? Did he just talk to the winds and the waves and they obeyed him? Did, like, did he just flip all those tables over and crack a whip and chase people out of the temple? Like, did, he just, did he just go to the home of a notorious sinner named Zacchaeus? Like, You're not supposed to do any of that stuff. Jesus would do things sometimes that would leave people breathless. They would take them off. It would make them mad. It would, bewil- it would confuse them and bewilder them. He was a savage. And today's story is going to show us that. Uh, and we'll get into it just a second, but why would we talk about this? Why would we talk about our perception of Jesus? And it's important because our vision of Jesus shapes our faith, like our understanding of what he's like, the type of person that he is or was, you know, it shapes the way that we relate to him. It shapes the kind of prayers that we pray. It shapes how much we trust him or don't trust him. It shapes how much we obey him or don't obey him, right? So what is he really like? We have to have a full, comprehensive, holistic view of what Jesus was really like if we want our faith to be what it's designed to be. And so in our story today, we're going to see a little bit more of that savage side of Jesus. So let me, get, let me paint a picture for you here. It's early morning one day, Jesus goes to the temple. He would often do this to, to teach. And so he goes there and a crowd gathers around him and he starts to go into one of his, one of his talks, one of his sermons. And right in the middle of his talk, the Pharisees and the leaders of the religious you know, elite at that time, the, the, the pastors, if you would call it, say that, they weren't called that, but uh, the clergy, they, they dragged this woman out in front of Jesus. This woman who was literally caught with her hand in the cookie jar. Listen to what they say in John chapter 8. Teacher, speaking to Jesus, this woman was caught, say it with me, in the act. Hand in the cookie jar, no questions asked, evidence, there's eyewitnesses. She was caught in the act of adultery. Now, the law of Moses says that we ought to take some stones and crush her, kill her, annihilate her, wipe her out, condemn her to death, and then that's true. The law of Moses did say that, and that that was a practice for people that were caught in adultery, and it wasn't the only sin that you can get stoned for, but it was one of them. And what they were trying to do in the next verse, we find out they were trying to catch Jesus in a, a trap. Like if he would like, go against the law of Moses, then they could say that, well, see, he's not a divine teacher. He's, he's contradicting Moses. And so they were trying to catch him. And so when Jesus hears this, this, this question, he does something odd. He gets down on a knee and he starts to write on the ground. Some of you have heard this story before. It's a fantastic story. And when he gets down on the ground, it's, it's, it's interesting. Essentially what he's doing is he's ignoring their question. He stops his talk, his little teaching he was doing, gets down on his knee and begins to write on the ground. And there's this window of silence. We don't know if it was 10 seconds, 15 seconds, 30 seconds. We don't know if it was a minute, but he's just writing. And there's total silence. Silence. And silence bothers us. Some of you are bothered right now. (laughs) Say something. Well, they felt the same way. So look what they did. They pressed in. They kept demanding, hey, come on. What do you say about this? So Jesus stood up and he said, all right, here's the deal. Pay attention. Let the one who has never sinned. Let the person who is innocent, let the person who is spotless, let the person who is faultless, sinless, let that person be the person who throws the first rock at her head. Wow. This is essentially what Jesus was teaching. Only those who are without fault, remember this, only those who are sinless, without fault, have the right to condemn. And then he gets back down on the ground, and he starts to write again. And there's another window. We don't know if it was 10 seconds, 15 seconds, 30 seconds. It doesn't really matter, but we know there's a window. There's a window of silence. As he's writing. And then something absolutely savage happens. Listen. Listen. When the accusers heard Jesus say this, only those who are without fault can condemn others. They started to slip away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. You know what they did? They dropped the rock. And they let themselves out the side door. How could how could this happen with proud, elitist, clergy, priests, Pharisees, these were, the, these were the best of the best people at the temple? How could Jesus make one statement, one sentence? Let him who is without sin, throw the first stone. Hey, throw the first stone. And with one sentence, a whole group of adult men leave the scene with their heads low how savage is that what happened well here's what happened these men suddenly became very aware that although their sins were hidden unlike the woman who had her hand caught in the jar and now her sin was public to the crowd hey hey this woman's caught in the act of adultery Unlike her, her, their sins were still known to the Savior, even though they weren't public. And because they suddenly realized that Jesus knew everything that they had done in the dark, everything that they had done that was covered up, he had knowledge of those sins and they were in the same boat that she was. What did they, what did they do? They dropped their rock and they walked away totally savage. Do you agree? Watch what happens next. Got to get the rock. <laughs> then Jesus stood up and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Not even one stayed, not even one person? The, the most righteous Pharisee, even he left. Look what she says. No, Lord, not even one. No one's here to condemn me. And Jesus said something it brings me so much hope and so much comfort. Neither do I. Go and sin no more. There's two things that are completely savage about this story. If you're take, taking notes, follow along with me. The first one is this. The one, the one who had the right to condemn, the one who was in the position to condemn, chose not to condemn, but rather chose to show mercy. Wow. Think about it. Jesus says, if you're without fault, go ahead and throw the first stone. Well, who is the only one who's ever lived on this planet without sinning? Who was the sinless one? Who was the faultless one? Who was the one that was 100% pure through his entire life on this planet? It was Jesus Christ, yes or no? And he was the one who had the right to throw the rock, and he doesn't do it. Now you think, well, that's not so savage. He's Jesus. He's supposed to forgive us. But th- think about it. The culture in that day, what, is it, what does it mean to be savage? It means to go against the culture, to break the values, to go upstream, to shake things up, right? To cause a problem, to shake the bee's nest or whatever. The culture back then was that, listen, anybody who breaks the law is condemned. There's no mercy here. Like, the only, the only thing that God has prepared for sinners is wrath. The only thing that God wants to do for people who break the law is punish them. And that was the mentality. Throw the rock. And here Jesus says, I'm not going to throw the rock. Even though I'm in the position, the perfect position to execute condemnation and judgment upon you, I am going to give you mercy. That is totally and completely against the culture. And it is savage. Many of us have heard John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. John 3:16 you've heard this some of you can quote it. What we haven't heard a lot about is verse 17. The very next verse Jesus says this, for the son of God did not for God did not send the son of God into the world to condemn the world but rather it in order that the world might be saved through him. God didn't send Jesus into the world to throw rocks at people. Oh, you're a sinner. Boom. Oh, you're a sinner. Boom. There are some people in our world today, Christians in the church, some pastors that believe that. And it is not the heart of God. Where are the sinners? Let's throw rocks at them. That's not why Jesus Christ came into the world. His wasn't a ministry of condemnation. His was a ministry of forgiveness. It was a ministry of mercy. The very brother of Jesus, James, who wrote the book of James. (laughs) Chapter two, verse 13, listen to what he says. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Some of you are like, I I can't memorize scripture, I struggle. You can get this one. This isn't mercy, in fact, we could do it right now. Let's say it together. Mercy triumphs over judgment, aren't you glad? You know what God is like? God is like a, a person, a father, a mother that just desires to show grace, wants to show mercy, is waiting for an opportunity to to show love instead of judgment, to show mercy instead of condemnation. He's willing, he's waiting, he's looking. How do we know that? Jesus told a story one time of a father who had two sons. He said, you wanna know what God is like? You wanna know what the father is like? You wanna know what my father is like? It's like a dad who had two sons, and one son says, "Dad, give me my inheritance early," which was totally an insult. You're supposed to wait till your father dies to receive your inheritance. He says, "Dad, I want my inheritance early. The son, the father gives it to the son. He takes the inheritance and he goes and he spends it on all kinds of wild living, the Bible says. And when his money runs out, a famine hits the land, and he's hungry. So he hires himself out to some farmer. And one day, he's out in the middle of the field, and there's a famine, and he's got no money, and he's got no food, and he begins to look at the, the the pigs' pods, and he's like, "Oh, maybe I can eat those." He's in a pig's pen, and he suddenly comes to a realization: What am I doing? I can go back to my dad and I'll just, I'll just tell him I'm sorry and I'm sin against you and against, against God and, 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 and I, I don't even wanna be your son anymore. I just wanna be one of your servants. Don't even, I don't even wanna live in the house. And so he gets up and he goes back to his dad. And Jesus says, before the son can even get close to the house, the father can see him a long way off and the father takes off running. And back in those days, Jewish men did not run. They wore long, long robes. And if they had to move fast, they would have to grab their robes up and gird, gird it up to the side. But they didn't do it. Jewish men didn't run, especially the older ones. But not this father. This father's running towards his son. I mean, he gets to his son. His son goes into his little speech Dad, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just make me one ear. And he cuts him off. And he kisses him and he hugs him. And he puts sandals on his feet and he puts a ring on his finger and he gets a robe and he puts the robe over his shoulders and then he tells his his team, kill the fattened calf, start preparing a party because this son of mine was dead and now he's alive. This son of mine was lost and now he is found. Why did Jesus tell this story? To give us a picture that God is a God who is willing to run. He's willing to kiss. He's willing to hug. He's not coming at us waiting to punish us because we've broken the law. Because we've gotten our hand caught while it was in the cookie jar. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Are, are you glad? But that's not the only reason this story is savage. Savage there's another this story is savage because jesus believed in this woman now we've often heard we should believe in god and we should trust in god and i can quote the verses to you trust in the lord with all your heart don't lean in your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path smooth and straight i can quote five more just like that to you and you've all heard probably we should believe in god trust in god but what we haven't heard a lot about is that god believes in us listen to what he says to the woman Go and sin no more. Now, why would he tell her to do something that she was not capable of doing? You tell me. No, she was capable. She was capable of living behind a life of sexual promiscuity, sleeping with people that weren't her husband, sleeping with men who were married. She was more than capable of leaving behind a life of sexual sin. And Jesus knew it. And he said, here's what I want you to do. Now that I've forgiven you, now that I've withheld condemnation. I want you to go live differently. Wow. Why was this savage? Well, back in those days, again, the religious elite, the Pharisees, the priests, they didn't believe in restoration. They didn't believe in, you know, reconciliation. They didn't believe in a person changing. They believed in condemnation. This person's done. There is no hope. All they deserve is judgment. So the concept that someone could change their ways, the concept of someone that, uh, that, that someone could be transformed to become a different person and go a different path, that was totally foreign. There was no hope for sinners. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Go and sin no more. Powerful. See, Jesus believed. Jesus believed that with his help, sinners can become saints. <laughs> he really did. He believed it aren't you glad one time in matthew chapter 5 verse 48 he said here's, well, here's the deal i want you to be perfect just as your heavenly father is perfect wow that's some pretty heavy stuff you mean i can be like god not be god but like him Absolutely. In fact, Jesus would say, that's why I came. I didn't come just to show you mercy. I came to transform you from the inside out. I came to do an overhaul. I came to dig everything up, all the roots all, and all, plant something different in you. C.S. Lewis helped me in this. Mere Christianity, one of my favorite books. Lewis comments on Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, and he says this. When he said, be perfect, he meant it. He meant that we must go in for the full treatment. He doesn't want to tinker with some some of our parts. He wants to have the whole thing transformed. The whole outfit. So when we open the Bible and I hope that you do, especially the New Testament, you see it. You see it in the letters of Paul, you see it in the letters that Peter wrote. You see what? This idea that that you can be different, that you can be transformed, that you could be a different person, you could take a different path, you're not stuck, you can change. Listen to Paul in Ephesians chapter four. He says, if you've heard about Jesus and the truth that's in Jesus, here's what I want you to do. I want you to throw off your sinful nature and your former way of life. Take the whole outfit off and throw it in the trash because it is corrupt by lust and deception. Instead, here's what I want you to do. I want you to let the spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on your, say it with me, your new nature. What's that new nature? Well, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Wow. It's possible to change. It's possible to be different. It's possible to walk away from sexual sin. It's possible to walk away from anger. It's possible to walk away from insecurity and worry and anxiety. It's possible to walk away from pride and selfishness. It's possible to be like God. That's what's savage about this. Jesus says, I want to change your whole life. I want to turn the whole thing upside down and turn you into a different type of being. Go and sin (laughs) no more. Jesus believed that with his help, Sinners can become saints. Is anybody else excited about that? My heart is filled with hope. Now how's all that possible? Well, that's possible, and it's only possible because of Easter Sunday morning, because of the resurrection. If Jesus would have stayed dead, there would be no mercy. If Jesus were to stay dead, there would be no hope for change. In fact, in your notes, I wrote it like this. Without the resurrection, there is no mercy. Like the way Paul said it, and he said it perfectly in First Corinthians 15, verse 17. Listen to these words. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is pointless, useless, worthless. Just throw it in the trash. It means nothing because you're still guilty of your sins. If Christ had stayed dead, sin would not have been conquered. You would still be guilty of your sins and you would have to pay for them yourselves. But he didn't stay dead. He died on a Friday and he rose on a Sunday so that you and I could receive mercy. Is anybody excited about that? It's called the Easter story. God does not just freely give out mercy without cost. It costs him the very life of his son. Someone had to pay. It wasn't going to be free. It's free to you, but someone paid a very high price, and it was the Son of God. He suffered for your sins and mine. He died in our place to bring us safely home to God, is the way way Peter said it. Without the resurrection, there is no mercy. And secondly, without the resurrection, there is no hope for change. See, the, the only way we change is by the power of the Spirit. Yes, we play our part, and we have to cooperate with the Spirit leading in our life, and... But we can't change, this isn't a self-help program. Like when Jesus said to the woman, go and sin no more, he didn't say pull up your bootstraps and change yourself, no, he knew that he was gonna give her his assistance. And that's exactly what the resurrection did. The resurrection provided the spirit. In fact, one time Jesus said this, unless I go from you, the spirit won't come and it'll be better for you if I go because the Holy Spirit will come to do what? To change you, transform you, to lead you, to guide you. When you trust in Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. He comes to live inside of you. And he's the one that produces the change inside of us. One time the Apostle Paul said this, the fruit of the Spirit or the result of living with the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. How does that fruit grow in our lives as we yield to the Spirit, follow the Spirit, his leadings, obey the spirit, surrender to the spirit's leading, ask him to fill our lives. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. And the Lord who is the, say it with me, spirit. The Lord Jesus Christ is the spirit. They are the same. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus Christ. And the Lord who is the spirit makes us more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Without the resurrection, there is no hope for change. When Jesus said, go and sin no more, he had every intention of helping this woman to become different. And the same is true for you, and the same is true for me. Everything hinges upon the resurrection. I hope you're excited about that. We are celebrating that today. Mercy has become available by the resurrection. Transformation is possible because of the resurrection, because the spirit of God has been unlocked, unleashed, and made available to us. Now, today's baptism weekend, as well as Easter, and it's a perfect time to celebrate baptism because, hang with me for a second, watch this. When someone is baptized, they are identifying with Jesus in his death. When someone goes under the water, they're symbolically saying, I am dying to my old sinful nature, my old former way of life. I'm saying no to it, and I'm being washed symbolically by the water. I'm coming up to a brand new, watch this, resurrected life. I'm being raised from the dead in the same way that Jesus died to sin and rose again. I too, I too am going to die to my old former way of life, be washed and be resurrected to a brand new life filled with the spirit on my way to transform to become just like Christ. That's what baptism is. It doesn't actually happen back there when we do it. If that were the case, I'd get all of you lined up right now. We'd baptize every single one of you. Okay. Or we get a hose out and I'd just spray all of you down. Like if the water, it's a symbol, okay? But it it is it is it is a symbol that's powerful because it's true. You like mercy is available because of the resurrection. The possibility for change and transformation is available because of the resurrection. Baptism is that message, and that's why we do it publicly. It's a silent sermon to everyone who's watching to say, you too, you too can receive mercy, you too can be changed. Now, before we baptize our folks today, I want you to hear a story that is only possible, only possible because of the power of God, the resurrection of Jesus, the power to transform, the power to forgive. It's the story of the Turner family. We baptized them a couple of months ago. And I want you to hear their story. It is a perfect picture of what is available to you and I when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Check this out.
1: My name is Lindsey Turner. I have been going to Emanuel for um, around 15 years. I started coming with my family.
2: My name is Paul Turner. I've been going to Emmanuel for 10 years now.
1: I have been married to my husband, Paul, for nine years. We have two little girls. Uh, we have Olivia, who's seven. We have Maya, who's four.
2: They just keep getting bigger and bigger every day and got a good, just got a good family. Well, about seven, eight months ago, just learned the details of my wife, Lindsey, was having an affair on me and I didn't know really what to do. My world was, was crushed. It was a very, very dark time. A lot of emotions and I didn't know where to go or who to turn to.
1: I would say probably four or five years into the marriage, um, there were things that happened. Paul was working really long hours. Um, We had kids. Just I think our priorities definitely changed. I feel like we just grew apart, and um, we didn't communicate with each other. His long hours caused him to not be home, and so um, I feel like my life kind of became a life without Paul, in a way. And my life was really just a life of me and my girls. I started a new job. There were definitely some coworkers that really were all about the drinking scene and um, just going out and networking. And I got caught up in it, and um, I was getting a lot of attention from guys, and I really didn't know how to handle it because I wasn't happy at home. And so um, I actually met a guy, and um, I actually started having an affair with my husband. It kind of all came out, and um, it wasn't good. It wasn't good at all, and um, our marriage wasn't trouble.
2: There was so much going through my mind at that moment. I was sure, I was almost positive that our marriage was over.
1: His immediate reaction was, he was done. Um, he left at first. I, I honestly didn't didn't know how we were gonna move forward. I felt so guilty. I felt just horrible for what I'd done. And looking back, I just can't, I can't even think of a reason why I did it. Um, I know there's reasons and I was obviously unhappy, but just seeing how heartbroken he was, just destroyed me.
2: Didn't eat, didn't sleep. It was the worst time I've ever been through. I really was hindering on who to talk to. I didn't know who to, to contact, but something told me to contact Todd Green. And Todd actually married us nine years ago. So Todd was on my mind, I guess for that reason, because marriage was fresh on the topic and what I thought was utterly destroyed. Um, something told me, just go to where it all began. And that was Todd. And so he gave me Bill hey. Miller's name and number. Um, shortly after that, I believe we we got something set up.
0: Paul and Lindsay uh, came in to see me and they had an opportunity to share their story with me. While I listened to their story, I realized that their marriage was in some deep trouble.
2: He wanted me to try just just to see where it goes um, individually, and then eventually together to repair what's been broken.
0: I had told them that if they were willing to do marriage God's way, that they could experience marriage at a different level and a different depth than they had ever experienced it before.
1: Our counseling just, it just opened our eyes to so much and it made us both, um, I guess, recognize our own faults and realize that we're in this together and it takes two. And that's how we started to fix it.
0: It was really exciting for me because I saw them to start uh, to work on their relationship with God, which then meant that their relationship with each other
2: started to improve.
1: Bill gave us homework, um, which got us into the Bible. We were reading together, we started praying together, which is not anything that we'd ever done before.
2: It helped us learn to forgive each other. It showed us God's forgiveness, His grace and His mercy. We just started to learn how to like each other again and, um, you know, the way it was meant to be.
1: I remember sitting in counseling with Bill and telling him that I was struggling with forgiving myself. And um, Bill said, you know, you don't have to forgive yourself because God has already forgiven you. So I think just knowing that, you know, it doesn't matter what you've done because God can fix anything.
2: God's waiting for you. <laughs> All we have to do is submit and give it up. He loves us. You know, let's let's show him that we actually love him and want to be obedient.
1: Our marriage now is better than it's ever been. And um, we wouldn't be here without God. We wouldn't be here without Emmanuel and we wouldn't be here without Bill.
2: We lost sight big time. And now we're just moving forward. Easier said than done, but we're moving forward, and God is there the whole way. Submit to Him, and and give it all. Just give it all. And God will take care of the rest.
1: I just can't wait to see what God has planned for us. Um, obviously, He's done so much in so little time. So, um, you know, whether it's an opportunity to to help others that have gone through this, um, you know, we're open. But I think. We're believers and we know that um, with God anything is possible.
3: i i
0: standing with me for a moment. I'm gonna invite you to close your eyes right now, all of our campuses right now, just close your eyes. And I just want you to hear these words. Although you've been caught hand in the cookie jar, caught red handed, God has seen it all. There's nothing that he has not seen in your life. And though that is 100% true, he desires to show you mercy because mercy triumphs over judgment. Will you receive his mercy today? Will you come to him? Will you realize as the prodigal son did, what am I doing? Why don't I just go back to my father? If you do, if you have enough self-awareness to know that, you have a heavenly father that's willing to run to you, to kiss you, to hug you, to put a robe on you, feet, shoes on your feet, a ring on your finger, and to throw a party. Will you come? The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus Christ died and suffered for your sins and three days later he rose again so that you could receive mercy so that you can become a brand new person and be transformed from the inside out if that's where you're at right now I'm going to just say a simple prayer if you feel led into this moment if it's for you if you feel like God is speaking to you through my voice take these words speak back to him they're words of faith just tell him right now he's listening it's a prayer he loves to answer Jesus, I come, I've messed up, I've blown it. You know all about it, you've seen it. Up to this point, I thought judgment was all there was, condemnation, but today, today I heard that you desire mercy over judgment. And so I come. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. You rose again three days later to wash me, to forgive me, to show me grace, to give me mercy. And so by faith, right now, I receive that gift. Forgive me. Make me your child. Fill me with your spirit. And from this moment on, transform me into a brand new person from the inside out. I pray this in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen. Can we give God glory, guys? Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer whether online or one of our campuses as you exit today there is a a new believers new testament we would like to put in your hands at the back of the auditorium if you trusted christ online today there's a place there that you can check that says i trusted christ put your address in there we'll send one of these to you in the mail absolutely free of charge you we want you to begin reading it because god changes us how he transforms us by the renewing of our mind which says we take god's word into our heart and mind so one more time guys can we give god glory amen Will you pray with me as we close? Heavenly Father, it's because of your great love for us that you sent Jesus into this world, not to condemn us. His was not a ministry of condemnation or judgment, but rather to save us from our sins. And we thank you, Jesus, for that. We thank you for the finished work on the cross, not just your death, but your resurrection that made mercy and transformation possible. I hope you were honored today as we tried to take this message and bring it to as many people as possible, Jesus. Thank you for those who trusted you today. Give them the courage to grab a Bible on their way out. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, God bless you. We'll see you next week for week number five of Savage Jesus. Bring a friend.